Highland Falls, El Paso, Clarksville, Watertown, and from other important military capitals around the globe. Eye on Defense brings the top military and defense issues into focus. Eye on Defense is proudly sponsored by Big Sarge Pre-Owned TA-50 Emporium and The Last Hope Jewelry and Pawn. And now, citizens of Earth, brace yourselves for the next episode of Eye on Defense. Defense, 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 defense. All right, we're back, everybody. This is uh, 26 September, evening of 26 September. This is episode 169. We have uh, how many stories? Seven stories. We'll start with Ukraine, and then we'll go over some Army modernization priority stories, precision uh, strike uh, missile, RCV light, future tactical UAS. We got an IVAS story, next generation squad weapon story, and then we'll finish up in uh, the Gulf of Oman, Oman, with an A-10 story, believe it or not. So we'll get started with first Ukraine story. Breaking defense, 26 September. Tim Martin, have, a st- have not done a story from him for a while. American Abrams tanks have arrived in Ukraine, question mark. I'm sorry, American tanks have arrived in Ukraine. Abrams, will they shift the balance, question mark. At a first glance, Monday announcement by Ukraine President Zelensky said, that the first M1 Abrams main battle tanks have arrived in Ukraine ahead of schedule. But two defense analysts have told Breaking Defense that while the arrival of the Abrams is surely a welcome sign to Kiev and it could consolidate some gains, they alone are unlikely to significantly alter the strategic landscape anytime soon. And that's compared to main battle tanks already in service, like the German-made Leopard 2 and the British-made Challenger 2. Of course, we've talked about it many times on this program how the Leopard 2 and the Challenger 2. The Leopards and the Challengers are some of the best tanks in the world, just like the Abrams. Uh, Abrams deliveries are to Ukraine are far more significant psychologically than perhaps physically, and that's a quote from this guy named Hamish Breton Gordon, who is a former commander of the British Royal Tank Regiment. He has another quote in here, too. He said that Western tanks, including the Abrams, should not be seen as game-changer, in parentheses, because most of the important issues is that U.S. and European industry start outpacing weapons production, Russian weapons production. Material like armored personnel carriers, air defense systems, and 155mm ammunition should be prioritized, he said. Uh, still, this guy, Bretton Gordon, said Western tanks could help to consolidate gains following the breach of Russia's first defensive line by Ukraine forces in early September as long as Ukraine forces are aided by long-range missiles. President Zelensky did not share how many Abrams tanks have arrived in Ukraine, but the United States has committed to supply 31 of them. Uh, the Office of Secretary of Defense, United States, has said the deliveries are a first batch. Uh, United States has some simultaneously set up training for Ukraine tank crews in Germany. Uh, they have a quote here from uh, Krylo Budinov, who's a head of military intelligence for Ukraine, he said the tanks should, will be used in a very tailored way for specific well-crafted operations because if they are used at the front line and, and just in a combined arms fight, they will not live very long on the battlefield. They need to be used in breakthrough operations, but that should be very well prepared. Uh, the last line of the article has said that has, tells, the, uh, tells the reader that the United States has sold this, of course, the Abrams tank to Australia, Egypt, 
Iraq, Morocco, Kuwait, and Saudi Arabia. And that's it. Oh, by the way, uh, Ashley Roquet also contributed to this story. We didn't do the whole story. We just cherry-picked most of it uh, like I normally do. So first tanks, Abrams, have arrived in Ukraine. Next, we're going to go in some of the Army modernization priorities. Of course, we know that there are six. Um, let's see if I can remember off the top of my head. In order, let's see, long-range precision fires, uh, next-generation combat vehicles, future vertical lift, the network, air and missile defense, and, of course, soldier lethality. We have nothing from the network and nothing from air and missile defense, So, but we'll cover something from the others. Uh, we'll start off with... Uh, we'll start off with long-range precision fire story. This one is from 26 September today, and this is from National Defense Magazine. It's um, just in Army delivered precision strike missile to soldiers by the end of the year. Of course, we know the precision strike missile is uh, going to be for the HIMARS and for the uh, MLRS. It's going to replace the ATACM someday. Of course, the ATACM's getting, you know, in the news a lot. We've, we've talked about it a lot. This is what's going to replace the attackums one day. Uh, we'll get to the story. This is out of Huntsville, Redstone. A shifting focus aligned to near-peer competition has brought integrated fires and surge capacity to the forefront for the Army's PEO, Program Executive Office, Missiles in Space. Uh, that's said by one of its leaders on 26 September, a guy named Colonel Guy Yelverton. He gave a speech at the National Defense Industrial Association conference in Huntsville, Alabama, today. Here's a quote from him. Integrated fires is, is the coordinated use of multiple sensors, effectors, and mission command systems to maximize the, their collective efforts to support joint all-domain operations. Uh, if you listen to this show enough, you understand everything I just said. Uh, the author says effectors is military speak for weapons. I'll read that again for you. Integrated fires is the coordinated use of multiple sensors, effectors, and mission command systems. Um, so, yeah, you have sensors and then you have effectors. Effectors might not be weapons. Uh, kinetic weapons. So you have an effector that you sense something and then you target it and then you blow it up with something. That could be an effector. Or the other effector it could be you could jam it, right? You could jam it um, or, uh, or mask it or whatever. So anyway, could be weapons, yeah. Back to the article. One of the weapons is a precision strike missile designated as a modernization priority by Army leadership. We talked about that. The surface-to-surface ballistic missiles envisions having a range of 500 kilometers and replaces the Army tactical missile system. Uh, the missile is currently in production. The first missiles will be delivered before the end of the calendar year. Uh, here's another quote from Colonel Yel- Yelverton. He says, and then we'll deliver those first missiles right after that to the warfighter on our urgent capability acquisition pathway. The Army recently told National Defense that the IOC initial operation, operating capability schedule for second quarter of FY20, FY25. So here we are almost in first quarter of 24. So the first unit equipped is not going to be until second quarter of 25, which will be January, February, March of 25. So... We got some time, right? A little bit about the PEO, Missiles in Space, six project offices within PEO, Missiles in Space. Covers 41 different programs of record. Uh, The office is is focused on increasing production capacity 
with other stuff such as the Javelin and Patriots, and that's kind of the end of the story. So bottom line of that story is uh, precision strike missiles coming. It's 500K range. It's going to replace the Army Attackums, and it's not due for IOC until second quarter 25. Short to the point. Uh, next, we'll go next generation combat vehicle story, specifically the RCV light. Older story. I thought about doing this, I don't know, last episode, the one before, but I did not do it uh, for, for whatever reason. But I'm pulling it out now. Uh, from Jen Judson, Defense News, September 21, Army picks four to build robotic combat vehicle pro- prototypes. Of course, the robotic combat vehicle light falls under the next generation combat vehicle portfolio. So you have the, the next generation combat vehicle portfolio out of the CFT cross-functional team up in Detroit. And they have different efforts. One is the ISV. The other is an AMP V. Uh, the other is the, the Booker uh, mobile protective firepower. And this RCV light is part of that Detroit effort. So to the story here, U.S. Army selected MQ, Textron Systems, General Dynamics Land Systems, and Oshkosh to build light, ro- ro- light robotic combat vehicle prototypes. And that's a contract of $25 million. The Army said this on September 20. So there's your four. McHugh, one. Textron, two. General Dynamics Land Systems, three. And Oshkosh Defense. Uh, these four companies have until August of 24 to build prototypes and deliver them to the Army for testing and evaluation. And this will mark the first phase of competition plan to eventually become a program of record. At some point, they're going to down-select, right? So the selected companies will mature and deliver integrated systems towards the Army requirement, a light modular upgrade or robotic combat vehicle. RCV light will deliver increased situational awareness, lethality, and tactical options for the Army formations. And that's a statement from the Army. Uh, variants of these vehicles will serve as scouts or escorts for manned fighting vehicles. The Army is expected, is expected to choose a single winner in FY25 and... They will deliver up to nine prototypes the next year, which would be 26. The service has a production decision slated for FY27, and first unit equipped will be 28. So nine prototypes in 26, production decision in 27, first unit equipped, FY28. That's five years down the road. We got a quote here, of course, from the Next Generation Combat Vehicle Cross-Functional Team, Brigadier General Norman, he says, bringing RCVL capability to the force will provide the service with integrated team of robots and soldiers. Human-machine integrated teams are the future of successful ground combat combat in the future. Uh, According to Army documents, budget documents from FY23, the Army plans to spend $750 million over the next five years on the RCV light effort. Of course, RCV means robotic combat vehicle. So that's that story. Next, we're going to do future vertical lift. Uh, this is the future tactical UAS. We, used to, we talked about this quite a few times in the past. The Army is replacing the Shadow. The Shadow was a UAS used at Army Brigade level. Uh, the Shadow's been around quite a while. The Army said they wanted to replace it. They did a fly-off. They picked this uh, system called uh, Jump 20. Made by Aero Environment. Uh, they bought one system. We'll get to all this in the story, but they bought one system and they fielded it to one brigade. 
that was supposed to buy them some time while they while they worked on their requirements, informed their requirements, and now here's a story on that, and they've made some progress on it, and this is from Ashley Roquet, 26 September today. Army picks Griffin Textron to proceed with RQ-7B shadow replacement competition. This is kind of a big deal. In the future tactical UAS world, it is. Uh, the future tactical UAS increment 2 down select means that three teams will not move forward, which includes the air environment, which makes the jump 20, which I talked about. They got bounced a, a few months ago, uh, aero environment. So who's moving on? Uh, Griffin Aerospace and Textron Systems are the two companies that have been selected to move ahead with the second phase of the Army's future tactical uncrewed aircraft system, also known as FTUAS or future tactical UAS. Increment 2 competition, the Army announced today. They selected five companies in the first phase of the shadow replacement earlier this year, and those companies were uh, Aero Environment, Northrop Grumman, and Sierra Nevada, Griffin, and Textron. And as, as of today, Griffin and Textron are the only ones that are moving on. Uh, during this period, uh, UAS, PMO, uh, Project Office UAS will do... Wait a minute. I've kind of lost my place here. After selecting five companies for the first phase of the shadow replacement earlier this year, the Army evaluated submissions against requirements of performance, modular open systems approach, cost, schedule, performance, and they conducted preliminary design review. Ultimately, it opted to cut Air Environment, Northrop Grumman, and Sierra Nevada from the next competition phase and only awarded Griffin and Textron with deals for the increment two part of the program. During this period, the Uncrewed Aircraft Systems Project Office will continue to evaluate project agreement holders' weapon systems designed to lead to a critical design review, which will lead to a final system design and initial product baseline. These systems will undergo numerous evaluation activities, including environmental testing, transport, transportability testing, flight testing, and technical mining verification. The ultimate goal is to field a new unmanned aircraft fleet with increased maneuverability, enhanced command and control, and reduced logistic footprint and less noisy. I have the two systems up, up for bid here. So Textron is offering their something called a Aerosonde UAV, and Griffin is offering, offering up something called a Valiant. Uh, meanwhile, the Army, this is interesting, meanwhile, the Army pared down the field of these two contenders, which means the AV, Air Environment's interim solution, the Jump 20, is out. Uh, last year, the service awarded this company $8 million to buy one Jump 20 system, which included six air vehicles, ground data terminals, and ground control stations. So what happened to this uh, system? The Pentagon has announced plans to send that unmanned system to Ukraine. Un so one of these systems is $8 million for one system. So if you have 58 brigades in the Army, which you do, let's just do the math. 58 times 8. 8 times 5 is 40. That's, that's a $500 million program right here we're talking about. All right. That's it for that story. Next, we're going to do IVAS. Pretty good story here. Ashley, another story from Ashley Roquet, 25 September. Uh, kind of backstory real quick before I get to this story. Remember, there's three variants of the IVAS. There's the 1-0, one, 
which they made 5,000 of, and they're going to field to the training units. There's the one one that they're working on. I think they're going to make 5,000 and give to the striker brigades. And then there's the one two that's like the best one. Uh, they just made about 10 of them. They gave them to Fort Drum a month or two ago, and they did testing up at Fort Drum. And word on the street is the testing went really well for the 1.2. So things are looking up for, for IVAS, uh, especially the 1.2 variant. And we got a good quote here from the Honorable Doug Bush. So I, Army fielding up to 50 IVAS 1.0. Those are the the cruddy ones, basically. Uh, at Fort Moore, of course, Fort Moore used to be Fort Benning at one time. For many years, in fact, over 100 years. Now it's Fort Moore. After positive feedback on the new, ver- new variant, 2.1. I'm sorry, 1.2. The Army greenlight production of additional 280 IVAS 1.2 units. Uh, soldiers at Fort Moore will be the first to receive the small batch of the Army's initial 1.0 version of the IVAS, which means Integrated Visual Augmentation System. Uh, fielding will be completed this week. Uh, under the delayed and revamped IVAS program, the Army and Microsoft are building a military, militarized mixed reality night vision device based on tech giants HoloLens 2. Uh, when the duo IA complete overhaul, the system dubbed IVAS 1.2. Of course, we I just gave you the the reason why they did that. 1.0 wasn't that great. 1.1 is better. 1.2 is supposed to be the the best one. They're giving 50 systems up to Fort uh, Moore, Georgia. Uh, the fielding should be completed by the end of September, and soldiers will start training with them. And here's a quote from. Lieutenant Colonel Danny Dresch, who's the IVAS product manager, uh, he says they, meaning Fort Moore, has plans of instruction, POI, notice POI, within their institutional order of fourth generation schoolhouses. They have senior non-commissioned officer courses, and they will be utilizing IVAS as well as the Airborne Ranger Training Brigade and some officer training. So if you know anything about Fort Moore, Fort Benning, Fort Moore, as many people out there know, uh, it's the Maneuver Center of Excellence. The Infantry School is there. The Armor School is there. According to the article, they're going to give them to the Airborne Ranger Training Brigade. That's where Ranger School is. What else do they do down there? Airborne School is down there. Arslick uh, is down there. Probably Arslick would get them, I would think. Reconnaissance Surveillance Leader Course, that's what I would think. Uh, the Non-Commissioned Officer Course, they, of course, they have the Maneuver... Uh, uh, non-commissioned officer academy there. M Slick would get it, I guess. Maneuver senior leader course. I'm only guessing. And the officer training course. Every lieutenant, uh, maneuver lieutenant is trained down at Fort Moore. You have the the cavalry lieutenant and the armor lieutenants in one in one school, and then you have the infantry lieutenants in another. So they'll probably get them. Uh, as for the remember, there's five thousand of these 1.0. So as, as for the remaining four thousand nine hundred fifty of them. Uh, this Colonel Dress says the Army still needs the money to get them in the field. Uh, the officials are hoping for some clarity by second quarter of 24 on what's going to happen with these. Will there be money to field them or not? As the Army waits for the budget, it is working with Microsoft on another 5,001.1 units. These will have improved software stability and have a new low-light camera. Of course, we were told just from keeping up with this, that those 1.1 version variants will go to the striker brigades. 
And there are six uh, active duty striker brigades and two National Guard striker brigades. Now let's talk about, oh, we got some 1.1 one, 1. 1 stuff. So uh, if all goes well, some of the 1.1 1. 1 units will start rolling off production line by mid-calendar year of 24 and delivered to the Army by the end of 24. So 12 months from now, some of the 1.1 1. 1 units will be going out. Now, what else? Let's go for the 1.2 variant. So as the Army continues sorting through the 1011 fielding, in production, it is eyeing a revamp 1.2 to a more holistically to more holistically. I guess that's the word. Address soldier complaints about cyber sickness symptoms such as dizziness, nausea, and reliability and comfort. Remember, this thing was making some of the soldiers sick. Uh, talking about the 1.2 design here, the new design moves the device from the helmet display that's not easy to remove to a hinged flat design with a 60 degree field of view that soldiers can flip up and they took this the computer puck that was on the soldier's chest and they put it on the back of the helmet for the 1.2 and then there was a cord that kind of connected to the puck uh, they took that cord and they put it on the back of the heads-up display and they have a new low light sensor can uh camera from canon in late july the army received 20 of these hand they were hand built i've asked 1.2 prototypes Soldiers from 10th Mountain Division up at Fort Drum tested them in a, plan, in a user assessment at Fort Drum. So far, so good, Army officials say. Colonel Anthony Gibbs, Project Manager for Soldier Warriors, said the new low-light camera in the 1.2 shows a significant improvement and enables soldiers to do target recognition under certain conditions at various ranges. Doesn't describe what the certain conditions were. Uh Meanwhile, Colonel Dresch noted soldiers that were wearing the IVS 1.2 said that their discomfort was diminished. This feedback promoted the service to move ahead with development. Here's a quote from Doug Bush. He says, early returns from initial testing with soldiers at Fort Drum were very positive. This gave me confidence to move to the next step and the rapid prototyping program for this. He, he said this to reporters on 19 September at a media roundtable at the Pentagon. Uh, going in a step-by-step -step fashion, we're going to develop, test, develop, test, develop, test before and gather a body of knowledge that gives us confidence in the system before we get into actual production, especially production at scale. This is interesting. The next step resulted in a bush greenlighting an additional tranche of $95 million for the production of 280 IVAS 1.2 units. Uh, Gibbs and Dresch, who we just quoted earlier, noted that the order will include changes to the hinge design based on soldier feedback. Additionally, the service wants to make sure Microsoft has production facilities to produce IVAS at scale because it hand-built uh, 20 of those other ones, right? Uh, they don't have a line that's pumping out IVASs at volume of 20, but over the next set of 280 deliveries, they'll transition to a line that is coming off a factory. He did not disclose plans of a production plan, sorry. Uh, meanwhile, production moves slowly. The, ser the service anticipates receiving a limited delivery of those new units by 31 December and using them for a squad-level assessment in January 24. Wow, that's right around the corner. Deliveries and testing will continue leading up to an operational demonstration at company level in 25, 2025 before Army leaders make a production decision. This is all very encouraging. Things are looking up for IVAS. Yep. So they're getting 20 of them, and now they're going to build 280 of them. 
Yep. And they're going to start fielding. Wow. That's not too far away. Anyway, things are looking up for Ivast, which is good. Hopefully they can get it to work. All right. That's the next step is here's a good article. Next generation squad weapon. This is from Forbes business, aerospace and defense firing the army's new rifle and machine gun is a weighty experience. This is from an author named Eric Tegler. Apparently, he had the opportunity to fire both of them. Uh, I don't have a date on this. It's only a couple of days ago. This is a pretty recent article. Thursday morning, here's this article. I, I, I joined select journalists who got to experience the Army's new XM7 rifle and XM250 light machine gun firsthand. Before I get into it, I should say that this uh, the IVAS and the Next Generation Squad Weapon Rifle, Next Generation Squad Weapon automatic rifle are part of the soldier lethality uh, cross-functional team, which is out of Fort Moore, Georgia. So this journalist got to fire the XM7 and the XM250. Of course, the XM7 will replace the the M4 and the XM250 will replace the M249 saw. He did this at Aberdeen Proving Ground in Maryland. Uh, Aberdeen will see this process yet again when it embarks on a limited user test. Uh, the Army's Next Generation Squad Weapon XM7 Rifle and XM250. And that'll be on 10 October. Uh, the first group to test the new new rifles, machine gun, will be a unit from the 101st Airborne Division. Of course, they're out of Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Uh, they took possession of these weapons on Wednesday, probably last Wednesday. Soldiers will familiarize, familiarize themselves with the new weapons before heading to Aberdeen Proving Ground to put the guns through squad live fire exercises, weapons qualification, and qualitative assessment. Uh, while the Army appears on an irreversible course to obtaining up to uh, 25,000, no, that's not right, 250,000 XM7s and XM250s, the soldier feedback from testing at Aberdeen will be highly important. Uh, the next generation squad weapon replaces the rifle and machine guns currently used by the Army's Close Combat Force. We've talked about this before. Also known as the CCF, Close Combat Force, 100K Force. Roughly, the Army did the math and figured out that as big as the Army is, say 450,000 active duty and another three or 400,000 reserve or National Guard and Reserve, only about 100K, 100,000 of, of those million are actually close combat MOSs or jobs. And those are infantry, cavalry, combat engineers, uh, forward observers, so and special forces, rangers. So those are, they call it the 100K force. The article says 120, close enough. Uh, but they're the only ones getting this new rifle, these new rifles and the machine guns, bottom line. The rest of the Army won't get them. Uh, so the next generation squad weapon replaces the rifle machine guns currently used by the Army's close combat force. Uh, 120,000 soldiers who actually close in on and fight with the enemy. Uh, they currently use the M4 carbine and M249 saw introduced in the 1990s. In case you didn't know, that's what the infantry is using now is M4s and M249s. Uh, Six Hour won the contract. They're making both of them, the next generation squad weapon rifle and the automatic rifle. Uh, earlier this year, Six Hour beat a trio of competitors for a $4.7 billion dollar contract and that's in tandem with a 2.7 billion dollar next generation fire control which is made by vortex optics i don't want to get too crazy in this but 
there were basically three efforts in one. One effort was to produce the Next Generation Squad Weapon Rifle. One effort was to produce the Next Generation Squad Weapon Automatic Rifle, machine gun. And another effort was to do a fire control, uh, a weapon sight for both. They could go on both. Uh, the weapon sight was developed first. It was won by Vortex. And then a couple months later, uh, the Next Generation Squad Weapon contract was awarded. SIG won both of those. Uh, but Vortex won the optic one. A little bit about the weapon. The XM7 is a modular, piston-driven, select-fire magazine-fed suppressed rifle. It's got a suppressor. It's got fully ambidextrous con controls, improved ergonomics. And then the XM250 is a lightweight, belt-fed, air-cooled, gas-operated, select-fire suppressed machine gun. Collapsible buttstock. Two-position adjustable gas valve for rate of fire, I assume. Uh, modular Picatinny rails, probably on both. Recoil mitigation system. And it uses the same suppressor, fire control, and ammunition as the XM7. They're both 6.8. Here it is. The ammunition is a lethal 6.8. This is interesting. The Army determined that the heavier round is needed, according to a 2017 study, which found that new body armor used by Russia and China is effective at stopping 5.56 at medium ranges, which is three to 500 yards. So the idea is they make 6.8 so it can punch through body armor at three to 500 yards. And that's our friend General Milley, who just retired, by the way. The same year, General Mark Milley, then Army Chief of Staff, told Congress that body armor as cheap as 250 bucks could stop the 5.56 rounds fired by the M4 and 249. Uh, so SIG has developed an innovative lighter hybrid brass alloy cartridge to pair with a 6.8 millimeter projectile. The new combination yields rounds that weigh as much as the 5.56, but packs a heavier punch and can pierce body armor at close and longer ranges. A little bit about the XM157, the, the, um, the fire control. It's got a 1.8 magnified direct optic, which means it's glass, has integrated rangefinder, visible and infrared aiming lasers, a digital compass, ballistic, I think he means ballistic kernel, Solver, but I think they mean kernel. Uh, wireless communication and digital display overlay. It sits atop the gun rails and has an adjustable zoom. And because it's glass, if it if all that other stuff doesn't work, you can still use it. That's what makes it good. This is interesting. Uh, they went to a range and they were shooting targets as far as 600 meters away. This guy here was. Or is it at using the zoom, putting the reticle on target yields hits for even novices. While I missed more than I hit at long distance, I nailed a couple of targets at 600 meters for a person first picking up the rifle for the first time and hitting at 600 meters is pretty darn impressive. Uh, a little bit at the XM250. Well, first of all, about the XM7, it's heavy. It's heavier than the M4. Uh, the M4 is 6.4 pounds. The XM7 is 10 pounds. So it's kind of heavy. Uh, but the XM250, I mean, it gets good views. It says the XM250 blows away the M249. Uh, not only do the 6.8 rounds have more energy, it's actually lighter than a saw, M249. It's 15.39 pounds versus 17 pounds. Uh, the XM, the, the fire control works very well here, and it says that they can hit at 2,000 yards or 1,800 meters. 
I mean, if you can hit 1,800 meters with a bipod XM250, that's pretty impressive. That's very impressive. I mean, we talked about this early on when we first started doing the podcast. I mean, if this thing works as advertised, this 6.8 machine gun, you might not need a 7.62 in the platoon. That's my take on it. You might take the M240s Bravos out of the light platoon, the infantry platoon, and make them all mounted and just carry this 6.8. That's what I would do. Anyway, this is being longer than I thought. Um, yeah, I think I'm done with that. Basically, the bottom line is that the author says he was hitting targets, uh, long-range targets with both. Uh, the bottom one, what you need to know is the XM7 is heavier than the M4. It can hit out to 600 pretty reliable. And the XM250 is a monster, basically. And what else I got? Uh, that's it. Oh, one more story and I'm done. This is an interesting story. This is from USNI. A-10 Warthogs drill with U.S. destroyer in Middle East maritime exercise from Sam Legrone today. A pair of U.S. Air Force A-10 Thunderbolts, also known as Warthogs, drilled with U.S. warships in the Gulf of Oman, the Navy announced Monday, yesterday. Uh, the two Warthog attack planes, known for anti-tank and close-in ground support role, uh, they were from the Air Force's 75th Fighter Squadron. They joined the USS Stetham, DDDG, 63 for an air operation and maritime surface warfare on Saturday and Sunday. Navy statement did not give much details on the drills. Uh, they did release one statement, though. A pair of warthogs held a live fire surface air combat troll that included the employment of joint fires against surface threats. Designed to take on Soviet tanks from the air, the warthogs are built around a massive GAU-8 Avenger 30mm cannon assembly that fires rounds at a rate of 3,900 rounds per minute. Good grief. Uh, during the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, the Warhawks were used extensively for infantry close air support. Uh, prior to the most recent deployment, the A-10 had been limited to use in maritime. One notable exception was in 2011 when the U.S. intervention in Libya, uh, also known as Operation Odyssey Dawn, an A-10 paired with a Navy P-3 Orion took on a patrol boat and several attack craft in the port of Misrata during fighting. The encounter was one of the few times an A-10 has been used in maritime engagement. Earlier this year, the Air Force dispatched A-10s to the Middle East as part of a plus-up of U.S. forces following the increased Iranian harassment of merchant oil traffic in the Middle East. Uh, they deployed the A-10s along with the guided missile destroyer USS Thomas Hudner, DDG-116. They were both attached to the Gerald R. Ford Carrier Strike Group. Uh, according to the Navy, there have been several other combined Air Force-Navy surface warfare exercises in the last 12 months. In August, two Air Force F-35A Lightnings operated with the Bataan and Thomas Hudner in the Gulf of Oman. In July, an A-10 fired 30mm practice rounds on a practice surface target. And in April, uh, US P-8 Poseidon patrol aircraft and two A-10 Warthogs and, th Warthogs and three U.S. Coast Guard cutters embarked with U.S. Marine Corps Joint Terminal Attack Controllers and trained together in the Persian Gulf. And that's it. This episode was a little bit longer than I wanted it to be. Uh, we did cover some good IVAS stuff, future tactical UAS, RCV light, precision strike missile, and the next generation squad weapon. Um, 
and A-10, and the tanks, M1 tanks, and Ukraine. Well, I'm, I'm on leave tomorrow. I'm taking some vacation for a few days, so I will try to do a podcast during the vacation. Um, I think I will. I think I'll take my computer on the road with me. And uh, so you know, don't be surprised to hear from me as normal. But if you don't hear from me for a few days, well, you know, you, you know why. Uh, anyway, I'm taking a well-deserved break. So that'll end the program right there. Thank you very much for listening, and good night.